Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hey there, thanks for joining us for Pixel Sift. Each week we look at the news and the issues from the world of video games. My name is Gianni and I'm joined again, because I haven't scared them off yet, by Mitch and Scott. We were about to leave. <laughs> hey, hey. It was getting stay, weird. Stay, please. Just for at least <laughs> the next 30 minutes we could stay. stay. Yeah. I think with all indie games, it, it comes down to you've got to have some sort of like little hook, some little niche thing that your game does uniquely over other games. We talked to Michael Can. He's part of the Epic Shrimp team, and we talk about bringing his games to from mobile to PC, working with a publisher when doing that, and what happens when you run afoul of the rules of the Google Play Developer Agreement. Uh, we'll also be talking this week about games that don't give you that winning feeling, or games just uh, that you aren't victorious in. That's every game for me. <laughs> and finally, on today's episode, we'll be talking about one of the biggest indie indie hits, Kerbal Space Program, and the reports that they may not be paying their developers as much as you might think. All that today on episode 32. Let's jump in. Pixel Sift. <laughs> Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. So, our first topic today, we'll be looking at games with unconventional endings. Games where you finish but don't necessarily win. Uh, This is sparked by Reddit user Harold Ingram's recent post on the True Gaming subreddit asking, Do all story games end with winning and why? We here at the Pixel Sift team decided to take things a step further and look for the games with almost anti-win endings. And there's so many out there. From lining you up for failure to flat out negating any kind of successful accomplished ending, there's a shopping list of cheeky games out there testing up patience for a desirable completion to our gaming adventure we've talked about this before where there's lots of games where you have a player derived narrative and obviously there's some of the games that we are probably not talking about in this situation so we're not talking about every time you play through a random map of uh, age of empires for example Mm -hmm. or or playing in an arcade as well you know some of the arcade games while they had storylines in them they were designed to be repetitive and designed to be played many times, so winning exactly wasn't kind of the point of the game. Well, we're yeah, kind exactly. of addressing the constructed narrative by the developer at this point, I yeah. think. It's oh, like my. a jokes on you type of thing at the end that we really kind of find interesting because it goes away from the general like idea of what a game is from start to finish. It's re- I think know, start and win. Yeah, well, I mean, every story has a beginning, a middle, and end, but that end doesn't always have to be a winning no. condition for uh, people. But why is it by with games in particular that we always expect to be the victor or be the you know the hero? And you know, why do we? You know, I guess that's the 
prevailing expectation of games like that is we have to have this particular thing. There are obviously notable examples where this situation doesn't happen and the storytelling actually goes and tells a story where you aren't the one who wins and saves the world and, you know, maybe you're just a bit player in the background or, you know, you are someone who, who has, a you know, a, a character development that isn't a positive character development. No, and um, I mean, there are, there are two games that we've discussed before that I'm going to bring back again because they're usually really good ones. Uh, Mass Effect 3, mm-hmm. where it really didn't kind of matter at all your decisions because the kind of the ending of the game was decided before you even started. Um, Shenmue 2 was another one as well and that kind of was a really bad cliffhanger because we didn't know that Shenmue 3 was coming. Um, one that I thought it, it's also going to subscribe to a whole style of gaming, just like with our um, sandbox stuff like our GTA and whatever they do have a start to finish story but you know the, the story is what you make it outside of that um, the recent VR game Adrift where oh. you're basically just kind of in space exploring uh, a little area where something's gone down but you're not quite sure yeah um, it's like a space apocalypse type thing uh, and then I think there's going to be a lot of those experience based games coming out on VR to like really kind of um, embrace and make the most of the VR experience by just kind of immersing you in a world and having and that being enough kind of thing this kind of works with video games as opposed to movies is because everybody's really used to a movie really spelling it out for the person and then games rely on a more like the person needs to give something back to the medium almost but it, it is there's lots of those games that give you that imp- incomplete yeah. feeling just like at the end of the film where you know they're lining you up for a sequel so obvious and right. so painfully that it kind of hurts but what I was saying is like because gamers can give back to that medium it you can still it can still feel like a loss but still be satisfying almost yeah, yeah, like yeah. for example you brought up a recently um, Halo Reach for example mm. you you lost in that in fact everyone actually knew what was going to happen even before you started playing the game because everybody knew that story or any any Halo fan worth his salt <laughs> knew that story but the ending had you fighting just an unlimited amount of enemies and you knew you were going to lose eventually and, and it was mm. pretty emotional at the end of that yeah. and like how it cracked your visor and your shield didn't recharge after a certain point and that was rough yeah and, and I think and, that's an interesting yeah. narrative sort of choice to have that sort of situation where you know the, there isn't a win condition there's a finishing condition mm-hmm. but not a win condition you spoke a bit about a drift there which is one of these uh, sort of games where it's more I mean the, the term's been thrown around but it's a you know like a walking simulator where you kind of yeah. go through an environment and you have to discover everything well, something like for example Gone Home um, where you finish the game but there isn't a, there isn't a win it's kind of a storyline that you kind of follow through and a lot of people weren't happy about that because they kind of got to the end and expected it to be you know something else and you know have been, maybe been trained by other games to expect a certain other thing um, coming out of their game but you know that was one storyline that kind of just followed through and there's you know there's other games like everyone's gone to the rapture and a bunch of other things like that as well where you know people have uh disappeared and or, or you know you have to go and investigate this thing and yeah, the story yeah. finishes and they're more experience based uh, I would even uh, be testy to call them com- more like art house projects as as, yeah. as, uh, as opposed to like traditional games yeah um, and there's of course a bunch of other lists that are traditional games but kind of just upset and confused us in the ending um, well, Alan, Alan Wake was another one yeah it just kind of goes off in a weird trippy dream sequence type stuff and you, you're not exactly sure what's happened and there's just so much about that on the internet of actually what it is because it's all you know it's all just guesses and rumours the end of um, Bioshock Infinite for as well, example as well like that has a really sort of trippy ending and when you finish it you're kind of like oh okay and it is a bit of a twist and an interesting sort of thing but it's not so much 
much of a win when you get to the end that you're kind of like, oh, yes, I've defeated all the bad guys and, and go from there. The Bioshock series has always been a bit like that as well. There's always been this sort of blurring of the line between, you know, what is your, your win condition. There are, is, uh, you know, lots of different types of narratives. And one of the narratives that you can have is a heroic narrative um, where characters go and they are the hero. You know, you're Jason and the Argonauts or any of these particular Hercules, any of the stories of Hercules or any other particular story like that where, you, you know, there is one person who goes and defeats the enemy. And a lot of the time, he in terms survive. of making a good game, that's sort of a fun way to do it. You've got a task. You've got to go and complete the task. You know, Hercules had to go do all those challenges in order to, uh, you know, win the, the favor of the gods, basically. And that's very similar to what a game sort of usually is. But when people kind of take that and sort of twist that sort of particular uh, format, you know, some people don't really love that sort of thing, but it works perfectly well in films. A perfect example of that would be Red Dead Redemption, where you mm. do the whole, th- you know, you finish the whole game and you get right to the end and you're, you're main character at that point is gunned down and you know dead that's it and you know you can go back and kind of come back as his son and whatever or as a zombie if, as a dead kind yeah. of um, protagonist but in that I, I remember that that was quite a shock to me because I was really invested in that game and I really loved it and it didn't take away from it mind you but it was interesting the ending wasn't yeah. a victory no, for the, no. for it, was, the it, was a, it cut me down and they make up for that by offering you more after game just like with but GTA do you and think stuff, people you know, get, sandbox games do you think people get upset more as well like if you because there's so much of the character development in that you are supposed to be invested in the character and you're supposed to be the character supposed to be an avatar for your own personal experience mm-hmm. in a game um, do you think people get upset if they don't win is there something about the way that gamers are that they have to win every time there is a certain aspect of competition that is very closely linked and they, they walk hand in hand competition and gaming and then the fact that there is a winner and a loser that that concept is very strong in this medium in particular and the only other medium it's that strong is sport yeah and so i guess in that sense people would you would think that people would get angry and even mad, sport but, though but it sport turn- has that heroic yeah. narrative we know our struggling team fought yeah. against all odds and yeah. we won you nobody know? likes a draw yeah. but it seems that these games get i wouldn't I, I don't want to use the term get a free pass because i don't feel like they they're getting like you know um, I guess a free ride but gamers tend to look at the experience and not just the ending that's what I think I'm for a lot of people it's an escapist sort of fantasy to yeah. play a game and maybe you don't want to play a fantasy where you, you know it's where it, pretty much the same as what your current life is where or your maybe, bubble gets burst at the end yeah kind of exactly yeah. Hmm. very fascinating I think the narrative discussion about any of these type of games and the way that we kind of go through things is always something we can always talk more about um, in other episodes but right now let's jump into our next topic Pixel Sieve! It's not Pixel Sieve, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sieve! Tough. This week, I spoke to Mike Can. He's a developer based in Perth, and we spoke all about bringing his mobile game over to PC and working with a publisher to release that game. And what happens when you break one of the rules of the Google developer contract? I asked him about his game, Mr. Nibbles Forever, which has just been released on Steam, and how it's designed to stand out from the pack. Um, I think Miss Nibbles Forever, it's, it is it is kind of um, uh, common in many ways, but in other ways it kind of looks cute, it's unique art style, and it's also got that rotating world aspect, which is kind of different from other games. I'm Michael Can. I'm uh, an indie and professional games developer, uh, working and living in Perth. 
the game that you've just released is Mr. Nibbles Forever. It has a very quick sort of gameplay loop, and that's sort of a trend that we've seen uh, kind of emerge in the last couple of years or so. What do you have to sort of focus on when you're designing a game like that, and what do you need to sort of avoid if you're trying to get people to keep coming back and keep playing your game again and again and again? Oh, yeah, you definitely need to try and make it as quick and easy to, to get people to into the next game straight away. Um, it's different as well because, um, I mean, the game was originally launched on mobile, um, which is obviously a totally different sort of experience for the user uh, than it is on, on PC. And, and particularly, you've got different concerns around monetization and things. You want to make sure the user can come back later on. You incentivize them to come back later on, whereas on Steam, it's, it's a different sort of monetization. So it kind of changes the way that you... Uh, you direct the player through the game. The original concept with the mobile version was um, I was going to just copy the sort of um, the crossy roads monetization strategy, which obviously when, I, when everybody saw that, you know, the crossy roads, simple game, um, but they're making a huge amount of money. Um, everybody thought, wow, that, I could do that. <laughs> and that was kind of my thinking as well. Copied it because um, it's, it's a great, great solid monetization strategy. You, you basically you just try and incentivize advertising and you try and um, incentivize IAP like skins. Um, but it's different on Steam because people don't expect to have to, to do in-app purchasing and they expect to have a, an upfront cost. So obviously when you're trying to transfer a game like that to Steam, it's, it's, there's definitely challenges involved involved with that. Um, and, it, and it took me quite a bit longer than I expected to try and shape the game to make it what Steam players expect, really. How do you kind of, I guess, make your, your argument for the, the value of what your game is? Yeah, I mean, I would have found that quite difficult to do, but I actually um, a, um, approached a publisher for the, St- the Steam version of the game. And one thing that they did is they did a playtest survey before the game. They did, well, two playtest surveys. So they sent it out to 200 people, uh, which was incredibly value- valuable because they gathered a lot of information about the game, a lot of feedback, and one of the, the things that, that came back was, um, what would you think you would pay for the game if you're going to pay for it, and then what would you pay for it on a sale, and all that kind of information. And from that, we were able to deduce the price around about 2.99 was going to be fair, um, particularly when you take into cons- uh, consideration the sales and the bundles and all that kind of stuff that's going to happen later. So. I, you mentioned a little bit on your site about what the reason why that you moved towards using a publisher for the release on Steam. And obviously that information that they've been able to collect for you has always been very valuable in that. What are some of the other things that you've kind of noticed versus publishing yourself um, or going through a third party who kind of helped with the publishing of the game? Yeah, I mean, after the the mobile version of the game, it was, I, I knew that if I wanted to make Mr. Nibbles forever have any chance at all i needed to make it stand out i, I kind of knew when i was developing the mobile game um it was it it was gonna i was gonna struggle to try and market it because the mobile space is so so cramped i think is it like 600 apps or something released every single day on the app store uh, the only way to get yourself noticed is is through marketing and, and that's kind of the sad thing you can work on a game for 12 months and it can just fall flat without without proper marketing um you know, or like a, a really, really poor game. Well, well I would consider it like a, a, an easy-to-make game like Flappy Birds or something can do incredibly well and get just because it gets picked up by certain people, certain media outlets, it, it's, it's crazy. So anyway, um, when I came to consider what can I do next for Miss Nibbles Forever, I, I knew that I, I had to really approach marketing people and, and in that in that respect uh, publishers to try and publish the game and one of them that replied back was black shell media 
um, they only did PC marketing, so they uh, only PC, PC publishing. So they they got back to me, and I got in touch with them, and um, yeah, we took it from there. Really, earlier this year, you had a bit of a. Uh I guess you released another. You release another app as a lot of developers do. They don't not usually completely uh, game developers, uh, but you create another app and you ca- ran afoul of the Google Play uh, rules and uh, for your developer account, and you had your account suspended. What? How did that feel when you released this app and you kind of had all of your work pulled out from underneath you? Yeah, obviously, pretty devastating. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> I, should I go? Should I explain? Sorry, should, should I should I explain um, a little bit what happened? So basically, I, I launched an app um, called Credit Redeemer, which is was only on Android. Uh, the idea of Credit Redeemer was it, it allowed you to convert unused Google Play credit into um, PayPal payments. So um, Telstra has got the Encore plan, which means that um, at the end of every month um, they convert unused credit into Google Play credit. Uh, and a colleague and a friend of mine suggested that why don't you make an app that lets you take that Google Play credit, um, use in-app purchases, and then you supply a PayPal uh, email address, and then I pay you some money. So basically, um, a, a way of converting that unused Google Play credit that you wouldn't normally be able to get access to. So I was like, great, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I knocked it out in like a week or, week or so. Um, while I was doing it, I realized that there were a couple of other guys that were already doing this. Um, I launched it, and three days later, I got an email from Google saying uh, that I was banned. My my entire Google Play account, including my Miss Nibbles Forever, Miss Nibbles, my other game, and Ectoplasm, another game, had been taken down, uh, and that was it. Um, they they gave me one email, uh, one one link that I could use to try and get it back again. So I sent them an email, obviously saying, "Well, what's going on?" And I got a kind of robotic reply back saying, "Well." It's multiple violations of your developer account. I was, and then I saw a reply back saying multiple violations. I, I'm not really sure what what that's all about because I don't think I've violated before. Um, and I went back through my emails. It, it appears that I had, did have one warning about an Opus SSL issue two years ago um, because of the Air SDK, the uh, Flash SDK I was using. Um, I foolishly ignored it, which I probably shouldn't have, but that counted as a strike against my account. So when I launched Credit Redeemer, that must have triggered another strike. Not that Google had told me that it triggered another strike. They provided no other information. They just banned the account. Uh, And following emails to Google responded no other information. Basically, Google now will not respond. They won't um, give me any recourse. So it basically means I can never develop for um, uh, Android ever again. I mean, you've mentioned as well that you, you're not going to basically be making anything mobile-based in the future and, you know, you're going to move into doing more stuff for PC and, and other platforms. But is it upsetting that that sort of door is now closed to you? Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a mixed bag. It, it obviously is pretty devastating. Um, the point that I made on my blog post was that, you know, it basically, to me, shuts down mobile development because why would I spend six, 12 months making another mobile game when even if it did well on iOS, I could never port it to Android because Google wouldn't allow me to port to Android. Um, so what? So what's the point in me even trying to make it for iOS? So in effect, it shut, shut down the entire mobile channel for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, constraints can sometimes breed creativity and making games on mobile is sometimes painful. So I'm kind of, in some some respects, looking forward to, to exploring other 
sort of gaming channels, PC, console, etc. In some respects, like Apple's, you know, I, I always hated Apple's um, system where they they takes eight days or two weeks or plus to check your game or your app before you can even launch, which is kind of annoying, but that would have caught this issue because they would have checked it up front and said, oh, no, this is against the terms and conditions or this is against money laundering rules or whatnot, and they wouldn't even allow me to put it up there. They wouldn't have just allowed me to put it up and then banned my entire account, including apps that have got nothing to do with it as a result. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is kind of a warning tale for any anybody else who's thinking of doing anything that might potentially be a little bit risky, um, don't do it like this. <laughs> Mike Can there from Epic Shrimp telling us the I guess his cautionary tale. Dude, that's yeah. rough. So he's just Google Play Store is just dead to him. Now. And there's basically all, once you've uh, created it, there's a big rule saying do not try to create another account under a different name or a different email address or anything like that. Yeah, you're out. You're out of the club. Oh. That's it. So very, uh, very interesting chat with him. Um, you can head to epicshrimp.com to find out more about Mr. Nibbles Forever, the original game, which uh, is called Mr. Nibbles, and Ectoplasm as well, which is another one. Or you can head over to Steam and pick that up. Do as check it out. Well. It's a wicked looking little game. There we go. Watch episodes, Let's Plays and more at youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. Yeah, so there have been many different indie success stories that have come out over the past, let's say, couple of years. And uh, the spacecraft building simulator Kerbal Space Program has been one of the front runners, and like that's what everybody's talking about pretty much. But... However, it's not all sunshine and rainbows for all the people actually building the game. Accusations have been thrown at the game's developers' squad concerning underpaying and overworking their creative team. The thing about the Kerbal Space Program is that people at NASA um, have actually come out and said this is actually a really good teaching resource mm-hmm. that we have for people who are interested in learning about the space program in a simulator sort of way and get people interested in that in that particular thing. It sort of started according to um, uh, one of the... Uh, basically, I think one of the people on Reddit who kind of talk, brought this sort of story forward to us um, basically said that this, the game itself sort of started as sort of a vanity project to keep one of the more talented developers from leaving the company and became a bit of an overnight success and you know kind of went from there um and there's been some concerns about the the sort of prices that uh or sort of the wages that people have been paid um because they are based in mexico city yeah i mean the whole thing just reeks of sketchiness um like you said basically ksp was the dream child of one of the squad's employees Mm -hmm. Um, but the company is not an actual game developer like they're not a development studio they started life as a guerrilla marketing company so I don't know exactly what it was they were doing outside of KSP, but obviously it blew up way more than they were expecting it to. And the two uh, owners kind of have jumped on that and are making, uh, are milking it for all it's worth to kind of work towards their own creative uh, endeavors. And uh, I must say, this is again coming from a good quality Reddit post of FG Regulus. And he does say in this, like, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I am biased, but... It's very hard to see. I mean, I've tried to look into the other side of this for the company, but they seem like they're dicey dealing at every kind of corner they take. There's also, um, when we were looking up information about the game and to try and find out some of the details about how it's been sold... um it, just about every other game you can get onto uh, one of the third-party Steam uh, analysis sites and find out information about how many copies approximately have been sold and how many copies exist in people's libraries and things like that. But 
squad has requested that KSP um, doesn't isn't in those well, databases. To be fair, um, okay, so that happened mm. after over a million sales um, were drummed up on Steam, which mm. is you know pretty pretty decent. Yep. Um, Very successful for an indie company. Yep. So Squad asked for their stats to be removed from Steam Spy. Mm-hmm. And they gave a pretty good reason for that. They said, basically, being based in Mexico, we aren't really crazy happy with the idea of everyone knowing potentially how much money we've made from KSP. And that's from the former dev and Reddit user Max Maps. Basically, because they're in Mexico, same laws don't apply as in, like, you know, whatever kind of um, other kind of uh, areas that people come from as game developers. And they're trying to avoid extortion from the cartels. Yeah. Because the cartels aren't just uh, aligned with drugs, as you kind of imagine it from TV and whatever. They they will exploit any legitimate business. That they can, yeah. So, being too famous and successful in a city like that could run them into trouble. So, they asked for them to not be kind of covered like everybody else. And I guess some of the same... uh, Which makes sense, you know. I do get that. Yeah. Well, I guess they're trying to protect themselves, but the same protections don't really exist to people working for them as well, according to um, this post that we saw. The... Some of the developers apparently being only paid around two thousand four hundred US a year, and uh, a year on, on a top year. of that being required to work pretty much eighty hours a week and things like that. Yeah, there was one of these guys, uh, one of the, one of the four main people that kind of got laid off after they were done doing like helping out the company and doing what it was their project kind of was based around uh one of them was pushed he was doing like 16 hours a day um just constantly apparently he was one of the worst like hardest pushed i think with all of these sort of things and a lot of other projects they're often quite project based so you know your job is kind of attached to one particular aspect of it yeah exactly so it happens in the mining industry happens in engineering as well once you finish your program you kind of are gone um but but there are fired from a company like that that's that's a little well i would say probably not fired they just go well we've reach the end of the project you've done what we need to do thank you for your employment but that's the end of your contract effectively yeah. so and your contract was stinky to begin with so everyone's yeah. going to be left with a bad taste in their mouth yeah that. and i mean it's it, you know there is uh, obviously concerns about the uh, level of uh, work that people have to put in and we have obviously had a couple of weeks ago alex and john uh say that you know developers should be expected to work uh, 80 hour weeks to make their games but his sort of basis of that argument was that people are supposed to be owners of the IP owners of the company that they're making and that if you're working in a business that you're building up then you are supposed to be able to do that sort of thing because that's what you need to do to make a business work a lot yeah. of the time and that's a cafe you got to do the same thing that's what you need to do to keep the people on board as well to right. actually make the game for you like give them some kind of but these people yeah these people are employees not, yeah. you know they're not um, not owners of the company they're, they're people who are working for the, for the company now that sort of pay is apparently very good for developers who live in Mexico City. That's actually quite a reasonable pay level. Obviously, we are placing this through the lens of someone living in a uh, first world country. Australia is obviously very high in terms of wages in comparison to someone like Mexico City. Um, but if that person was to work in another uh, company in the United States, for example, they would be expecting to earn a lot more than that, um, would have much more protections than that. Um, the being based in Mexico thing doesn't really cut it as just an excuse either. Like, mm. um, they, it came out afterwards, but, um, just after the 1.0 was released of KSP, a Dutch company called Deported BV was created, and the KSP license was transferred to them. And basically, they're just they're doing all that they're moving to uh, they're moving all their uh, license to uh, the, the to the permissive Dutch mm. tax laws, basically, mm. so they can dodge Mexico tax. I think it's it's also Mexican interesting tax. to note <laughs> that the yeah. two people that run um, Squad they 
openly admit to like wanting to do other things oh yeah there was a, a yeah. polygon article yeah. um found and he talks about it in the reddit post where the owners themselves admit to the author that they were channel- channeling money from the game's profits as a way to escape the marketing industry and, and one of the owners uh i don't know how to pronounce it uh, ayaza is working on his own movie and the other goya wants to work on his own record label and is opening his up record label. and there was an interesting interesting set of words they they accuse they accuses the company of being an incubator of passion projects how they mm. just like kind of like sit on these ideas and then they Which, apparently offered a chance at when when the employee joined squad they say okay we will listen to a pitch at some point during your employment and that apparently doesn't happen which is ever. fine and I love yeah. that idea as a company yeah. but you still have to pay your people yeah. like at the, properly yeah. you can't just skip well, them Google always famously had that policy where they had the uh, like 20% time basically where you, you could be paid um, for 20% of your time to work on any project that you'd like and some of the things that came out of that were like Gmail for example and Google Calendar and a bunch of other innovations as part of that but you know that's and there would be high workloads in something like any of the Silicon Valley companies but, but those you, people, you know, you get treated well on the other yeah. side of that. You know, there's a, you, there's incentive to stay uh, mm-hmm. and be successful and not have to, you know, uh, struggle on for eighty hours a week, earning two hundred twenty four hundred dollars per annum. I think honestly, I think this is a situation where a company was trying to do something else, and then something has kind of fallen in their lap, and they've had to really pivot along what they were trying to do, you know, into something else. And you know, the people who created the company, maybe this wasn't what they wanted to be doing. You know, maybe they've had a success here, but it's not not their dream. Maybe they are, do want to own records labels or or anything else like that so it's it's an amazing phenomenon that something this prolific has come out of a company with the philosophy that doesn't really buy into it Mm. and that's interesting usually you always hear the stories about passionate creators and passionate people sacrificing their time and sometimes well-being to create something awesome and this is the opposite of that yeah yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think we'll see what happens with this particular situation. Um, you know, we sort of won't know um, because a lot of these things will be locked behind non-disclosure agreements and other mm-hmm. bits and pieces as we go along. But, um, you know, if we've sort of pretty much believed that people should be paid worth, like what they're worth effectively and what they are working hard to do. And if they're taking a, a big uh, role in doing these particular pa- uh, projects or whatever, they should be rewarded for doing so. So That's right. Let's jump. Uh, well, that's pretty much all we've got time that for, is, really. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, jump into our next topic. We're jumping out of the show. So <laughs> thank you guys for jo- <laughs> joining us on this episode of Pixel Sift. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, as usual, we'll be putting links up on our website so you can go to www.pixelsift.com.au. And Scott, if people want to find us on social media, people find us at facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift, and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au. Mitch. As yep. always, you can check out the website for other um, for other episodes and the iTunes and uh, Pocket Casts and Stitcher and TuneIn and anything else that you can try and find RSS audio kind of on. Page. Also, if you like Rocket League, this weekend, this weekend, the fifteenth uh, Sunday, coming up, we'll be streaming that live uh, so you can watch all of the action on there. Hopefully, you'll be able to take part if you're in the area. Peace out. Thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs> Thank you.
Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 